Hello, I'm John Eldridge, and welcome to the Ransomed Heart audio podcast. For more information on Ransomed Heart Ministries, our resources and events, please visit us online at www.ransomedheart.com. Craig, we were talking just a few days ago about what does bring us life, and it was fueled by a conversation that I had with my wife. And it had been a particularly busy, draining a couple of weeks. And so we were sitting on the couch one Saturday morning, a cup of coffee in our hands, just talking. And I was telling her, man, I really just feel wiped out, a little overwhelmed, just not a lot of life right now. And as I was saying that, she took a piece of paper that was near us and a pen and jotted something down on the paper and circled it. It was a couple of words. And she slid it across to me on the couch And I looked down at it. There were just four words. The word said, what brings you life? And Craig, it hit me like a sledgehammer because in that moment, she was trying to speak life into me by asking the most important question she could. And I realized I don't know anymore. In that moment, she then said, well, what if you had two days? What would you do with that time to bring life back into you. And I found myself at a loss. Yeah, that is a great question. That's what I need is life, but I have no idea anymore in that moment where to go. I know philosophically God brings life. I know he's the source of life. But when it came to a man going and doing something that brings him life, it's easy, I think, sometimes in the busyness to lose those things that bring joy, life, just a, a spark to your day. Yeah. Welcome to the Ransom Heart Podcast. This is Craig McConnell, and I'm joined with Alan Arnold today. And Alan, that story, it's just all fresh in my mind. Our conversation in our office kind of lost touch with our hearts in some way that when asked – What brings you life? What makes you wholeheartedly engaged and present and alive? We don't know. We've forgotten. Right. Sometimes I think it is so subtle and we get so busy in things that we don't realize what the enemy is stealing and we don't realize we've lost that. You know, when you ask your child, hey, you got a few hours. What do you want to do that brings you life? As a child, they have answers pretty quick. I mean, they know And they're filled with things that bring them joy in life. I do think as men and as adults, you get older and you wake up one day and you suddenly realize if you're not taking care of that part of your heart, you don't have an answer to that question readily. Mm -hmm. And that's what is worth diving into. I think that's where the gold is, is for us to just go into that deeper because without that, you know, as John Eldridge has said many times, we start looking to lesser lovers to fill that void. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Alan, what are the toxins? What are the things that kind of steal and rob us or make us forget or move away from those things that bring us life? What are we up against? Well, one, I think we're up against busyness. And mm-hmm. in my own life, busyness, productivity got rewarded really early. Mm-hmm. I remember in my first job at an advertising agency, 
it was a situation I found myself in where I had to be there on a Saturday and was working. And the only other person I saw there was the head of the division, which was like four levels higher than me. He was a group principal of the agency. And so I was in my little cubicle and he was in his huge office a few feet away. And as he left on that Saturday, he dropped a sealed envelope on my desk and said, hey, I heard your dad was coming in later today. Give this to your dad. Don't open it. Just give this to your dad. Well, you know, it took me back because I thought I didn't even realize this guy knew my name hardly and there's a sealed envelope. So my father comes into town and later that day I give him the envelope and he opens it. And what the handwritten letter said was, basically, rare is the young man who will spend a Saturday working so hard to make his company successful. You should be so proud of this man, the son of yours, who worked so hard. Mm -hmm. Boom. And that's all it took. Mm -hmm. And I think that was the moment where I realized a key to me and who I am is being productive. And the busier I am, the more I get done, the better the day is, the better I am. And I've been trying to really untangle that since then. But in my moments where I'm not focused on what brings real life, the productivity, the busyness seeps in. And the problem with that is then when all of a sudden your wife or God says, okay, be still. Now let's do something, son, that brings you life you almost want to start checking things off a list mm. instead of being able to really savor life and find those things that aren't about productivity, mm. but that are about joy. In that moment, I realized I had gotten so back into that mode, it almost was like amnesia. You know, mm. I can't remember what brings life again. Mm -hmm. Productivity at the expense of your heart. Right. right, at the expense of presence. I mean, mm -hmm. Craig, when I started Ransomed Heart two years ago, you made the comment to me, we want you here for your presence more than your productivity. Mm -hmm. And that blew me away and also made me extremely nervous <laughs> <laughs> because I was very comfortable producing. But for somebody to say they wanted me for my presence, boy, that, that felt like walking into the conference room, you know, naked. Mm -hmm. And it felt a lot better to walk in with a file folder of all the things you've mm -hmm. done, all the things that were going on, mm -hmm. which really don't reflect the heart, really don't reflect the person at the deepest level. And so when you ask what robs us from life, the big one for me is any time I get drawn into productivity, mm -hmm. it is a toxin and the problem is it feels really good initially. Right. Man, I had 25 things to do today. I got all of them done. It's yeah. an awesome day. <laughs> and, you know, Kelly, my wife, when I come home and she asks how my day has gone, it's hilarious because I'll start telling her that oftentimes in that language. Oh, I got this done. I did this. This finally was finished. And she'll just smile and she'll look at me and say, I'm not asking what you got done. I'm asking how was your day? Yeah. How are you? Don't tell me the things you got done. Yeah. And for a man, it's disruptive, mm -hmm. you know, because we're far more comfortable, a lot of us, in that productivity mode as the filter yeah. until we burn out, yeah. until we all of a sudden realize we've left our heart somewhere. Mm -hmm. 
Ellen, you're describing it as productivity, and I get that. On a, a little deeper level, isn't what you're talking about out of a woundedness, a drive for validation? Absolutely. That our drive for validation, whether a man or a woman, can blind us to the care of our heart. Proverbs says, uh, above all else, watch over your heart with diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. And when you're describing productivity for another man or woman, it might be something else, but it's some drive for validation apart from God, right? Absolutely. Yeah. When we don't nourish our heart, when we don't take care of our heart, we will look for life in substitutes and validation in those other things that seem to be applauded. You know, the example I gave earlier, that head of the agency, he was really actually trying to compliment me and Mm -hmm. do something good. Sure. But what he was holding up as life, as being a man, as coming through, that validation is not the validation ultimately that we need. Mm -hmm. You know, I can't tell you how many Saturdays I worked after that in that quest for this must be life. This must be how you live in the world, Mm -hmm. how you find what really matters. So that's right. I think, and for other people listening, they may not have the issue of productivity Mm -hmm. at all, like you said. But the question is, where do you go when you're not guarding your heart that helps you feel validated or helps you feel like the day has been worthy, has been good, Mm -hmm. that you have come through? And so oftentimes when we dig to that deeper level, we realize God didn't really have to show up at all for that to happen. Yeah. A couple of other toxins or things that rob us of life. I'd love your reaction to it. I think in my words, I'd put the spirit of the age, which busyness and distraction. I mean, we are so busy. We are so distracted by the legitimate and some non-legitimate concerns and cares and responsibilities of day-to-day living. Yes. I think there's the adversary, an enemy who wants to steal and rob us of the life, the quality of life. He, he cannot touch our our eternal salvation and that aspect of our life. But he can steal so much of just the richness and sweetness of life here and now. One that I put down is uh, we just forget. We just forget about our heart. I think that's probably just a fruit of the spirit of the age. I can't quote it exactly, but one of the quotes that means the world to me in terms of directing my kind of walk with God, Maurice Roberts said that we were designed for ecstasy. And ecstasy we can only find in communion with Christ. And if we go for long periods of time without that sweet communion, We're just vulnerable to other gods and other things. And it feels like that kind of the maintenance of intimacy with God, when I forsake that, when that kind of gets sidelined, my heart, my life, everything suffers. And it's a slow dissipation, perhaps, 
But I think one of the toxins is just not abiding in Christ, just not pursuing him and kind of losing the disciplines of what it takes to kind of stay anchored in Christ. Yeah. Craig, give me an example in your life of like what is the process of you really are abiding in Christ. It's going really well, rich times of fellowship. And then how does the process start where that fades or like in your life, what is kind of the catch point where that starts to happen? Yeah. You know, one of the things that brings me life is I've got the big, easy, overstuffed leather chair that faces out these beautiful windows we have in the woods and behind our home. And I typically just read through the Bible, Mm. just start at Genesis and plow my way through. It may take three or four years and finish and go back again and start over. And it's so interesting because it used to be a discipline of going through the Bible. Yes. And now all it is is meeting with God. I open this morning. It was Joshua. And I think I read two chapters and then I just kind of slid into kind of prayer, conversation, download from God on my heart, my life. So one of the indicators for me that things are slipping (laughs) is, one, I'm not in the Word. I'm not having those times with God. And that's real easy because traditionally and typically it's in the morning. Another is I'm really irritated with people. I mean, the core command to love others, when I'm communing with God, I'm aware of loving and how I don't love, and I'm pushing through the unloving stuff to get to the loving. And so when I'm irritated with people, when I'm struggling with issues of forgiveness, relational stuff, I know I'm out of touch with God. I know that. Another is journaling. If I'm not writing what God's doing in my life, I don't think he's doing much. You know, I've just slipped into a malaise. John Wesley used to have small groups, and one of the requirements of their weekly small groups was you would have a testimony of what God was doing in your life this week. And I think, as I recall, you could get by one week without a testimony, but not two, because in his mind and goals of the group was you got to have a story of God working in your life if you want to be a part of this movement. And so it's like, how are you doing, Craig? What's God doing? If I'm blank, that tells you something. Yeah. Or when you're in those groups and you keep hearing old stories, you know, and so the guy's telling the story of what happened with his four-year-old, but the four-year-old is 26 right now. (laughs) And you're like, that's great for back then, but what's new? What is God doing now with you, with your family? That's really good. One other toxin I think it's important to hit, Alan, is just change of circumstances. I think as we go through life stages, what brings us life is different. I think things can change. We change. I mean, at some point, if running marathons is what brings you life, you're no longer running marathons. At some point, you have grandkids that you didn't have before, and suddenly being with the grandkids is life. So there's changes of circumstances and events Mm -hmm. that it's almost like we have to keep up with. Like in this season, what brings me life? 
That's so good, Craig. And as you say that, what it just pulls from my heart is, ultimately, whether it's marathons or whatever it is that brings life, ultimately, if you keep going deeper, it's always God, if it's right. And so if it's marathons and when you run, you feel God's pleasure, that's great. But as humans, as I think the toxin a lot of times is we move from fellowship to aloneness. And so we're a great writer. We're a great runner. Mm-hmm. We're a great artist, doctor, whatever it may be. But then over time, we go from I sense God's pleasure when I do this mm-hmm. to I enjoy the thing, this, mm-hmm. and I can kind of do this now. I know the drill. I am good at it. I've got it down. And we find ourselves all of a sudden God's left the room and we haven't even noticed. <laughs> and so the thing that used to bring us life, it never was ultimately the running. It never was ultimately the writing. Yeah. It was God. You know, we've moved from fellowship to aloneness and that goes to that orphan spirit. And I think that's maybe – one of the roots of the problem is we look up all of a sudden and we're alone on the dance floor. We're alone in the room. God's left and we're still trying to find life from those things we used to do with God. And he's not there anymore. The season, like you said, the season has changed. Yeah. Well, that's why I stopped running marathons. and That's why? Yeah. Oh, okay. That's okay. just not in it for me. <laughs> that's why I'm building birdhouses now. I'm... He's in that. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Man, it's a big question because when we don't slow down and really think about what season we're in and what brings life in that season, what makes us come alive, we don't realize how we've calcified or how we've just strayed from God in those things. So what brings you life? Now you're sounding like my wife. Um, (laughs) You know, ultimately – When she asked me that question, I had no answer that day or the next day. Just kind of that dumb look that I see so often around here. Right, that I practice here. (laughs) 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 Yes, I was dumbfounded, and it was something I knew immediately. I kept that piece of paper where she wrote that in big letters, and I spent a little bit of time with it every day going through the list, you know, I mean, the productivity side of me again, it's okay, well, I'll make a list of what brings me life. Yeah, is it working out at the gym? Is it, you know, riding a bike? Is it time with kids? What is it? And ultimately, Craig, I felt like God just lovingly said, put the list away and don't try to listen to experts or people to tell you how to pursue this. Come to me. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about it, the two of us. And it reminds me in in Psalm 146, there's a great verse early on. This is the message translation, but it says, don't put your life in the hands of experts who know nothing of life, Mm. of salvation life. Mere humans don't have what it takes. And it goes on to talk about put your hope in God and know real blessing, real life. That's what I want. That's what I really want. And You know, so when we talk about what brings life, and by the way, I'm still wrestling with that. It's this new in terms of something I'm going into deeper, but I'm realizing that's not a hobby. Like it's very different than for the person who loves golf or loves to go shopping. You know, that may be a hobby 
or it may be something you do enjoy on a certain level. But the question isn't, I don't think, what do you do that you have fun doing as much as it is, what do you do with God where the two of you grow more intimate together? Mm -hmm. So it may be golf in that sense, but if God's not really a part of that, that may just be a hobby or a distraction or just a pattern that -hmm. you've gotten into. And so that's what I'm trying to push into now is what is it that God and I can do together that is not based on my performance? It's not based on income. It's not based on how quick or productive or efficient I can do it or how much praise other people give me. But it's something that God and I, it feels like a unique invitation from him. Mm-hmm. Because anything else will wear thin over time and unravel because it ultimately is a thing at that point mm-hmm. and is not something that has the source of life in it. Mm-hmm. That's good. So, Craig, as we're talking, how do you find life? Because when we had that initial conversation, it really resonated mm-hmm. with both of us. We both felt like, ah, yeah. It cuts to the bone. So how do you find life? Yeah, yeah. You know, someone asked me a year ago, Craig, what makes you wholeheartedly alive, present, Mm -hmm. engaged? And like your story with your wife, Kelly, I could talk (laughs) about what used to and what has, but right now I'm drawing blanks. So I put up on my office wall the question, and over the last year – is I inevitably cannot avoid the question because it's staring at me from the wall. I've put up little post notes or I've journaled or made notes and kind of put them there. But I've got a long list and I won't, I won't go through the long list. But uh, what brings me life is I love music and I have a, thousands of songs on my iTunes and I have, of course, everything broken down into little playlists. And I have the A worship playlists and it's 12 worship songs that just bring God to me and me to God and I love putting on my headphones and just cranking that music and just takes me to God Mm. I love getting a note from Joe in Kazakhstan and Janine in Paris about how my life changed theirs That brings me life. I love writing. I'm learning from you, Alan, to find God in writing in a new way. And I just enjoy the playground that is creativity with God in writing. I'm learning that on a different level. My wife's cooking and company. Her just being with me brings life. I love not just worship music, but loud rock and roll. (laughs) Crank it. (laughs) Lori goes out shopping, girls' night out, or she's gone for, you know, like. Yes, yes. I'm cranking the tunes, and I'm being totally illegal with the Homeowners Association, just blasting. I love being in the woods. Mm. I love bullshitting with my son-in-laws on a golf course. Yes. Brings life. And when I say that, I mean, there is a joy 
in being in their presence and being with them and being true mm. that just feels like God. It's not overtly spiritual, right. but he is in it. Right. I love a really good Manhattan. I love the smell of, mm. of the earth after the rain. I love, I love laughing in joy. I mean, I could go on and on. Dry fly fishing in the Middle Fork of the San Joaquin River. These are all things that not every time, but often it feels richer and deeper than what's going on. It's more than the golf or the music and yes. the lyrics. Yes. There's something transcendent, yes. life-giving, fueling. Yes. There's something about it that's deeper than just having a blast. I love that list. And you said you've written that down. So the, the great thing is it can't get stolen. You've actually taken time to put words to the feelings or the thoughts that may flash through your mind. Mm -hmm. Craig, some of my lists, as you're talking that I've written down, I'd say they all fall under the category of making future dreams present because for so long – I would always think, oh, I want to do that one day when mm. I have time. One of these days, I'd love to do that. Or, yeah, with my kids, I can't wait to try that when there's time. You know, everything from I love to read a good book. Mm. And so by my nightstand, over time, I ended up with like 47 books. <laughs> and, you know. That's it, not a nightstand. It's not, it, it was the nightstand. <laughs> I just got the the furniture out of the way and – you know, so it was actually stressful because you'd go to bed at night wanting to read and not figure out, well, where do I start? And, oh, there's these other ones I'll never get to. So what I did last weekend was to try to make that future dream present, I just said, you know, I'm going to take one bookshelf in our family room downstairs and I'm going to make that my dream shelf. These are the books in the next six months, eight months, year. I'd love to read. It's not a project. If I don't get to them, there's no shame. But I'm going to put on the shelf the things that I feel like would bring me life and uh -huh. that God has brought to me and kind of flagged as, you really need to see what this author's saying. And so now I have one book on my nightstand, mm -hmm. but I have this area that I can dream and that I can be drawn into to go, yeah, that's coming up. That's going to happen. Something as simple as deep conversations with friends, mm. which is totally inefficient, you know, and something totally, I used to yeah. – Totally. <laughs> and, I, you know, when somebody comes in and says, hey, do you have time for lunch? And you're thinking, well, I'm not going to get these four things checked off the list if I say yes. But now I've really tried to be the man that says, yeah, let's do lunch. Yeah. And when they ask if you have time, you're thinking, no, I don't have time. But the answer is yes. Because those deep conversations that have God in them bring such life, and it's so good. So those things, we have a deck at home that overlooks Pike's Peak, and Kelly, she'll get a glass of wine, and you love Manhattans. My drink of choice is tequila on the rocks. So I'll just sip tequila, and she'll sip a, a glass of wine, and we'll talk about the day. And they're used to never be time to do that, we thought. And now almost every evening, we'll try to make a little bit of time for that, sometimes a lot of time, just to savor our marriage, life, the day. And the last thing I'd say that brings me life now that used to not is just fixing things. 
I grew up in a home where everything was sourced out. If something broke, you called the expert. You didn't try. So we had a TV after seven years that wasn't working well. Well, I went on Google and YouTube and found all these videos that showed for this brand of TV what might be the problem. The thing is you had to take it apart, and there were like 700 screws, and you had to – there were multiple layers. all things to pick. You pick a I TV. I pick a TV, and I was like, <laughs> I'm going for it. So <laughs> I, it, was, it was four hours, and the end of the story is it couldn't be fixed. But I tried. I got to the inner workings, did everything, tried everything, and God was in it, and we did it together, and he fathered me. And at the end – The end result was I had to buy a new TV after seven years, but the process was that brought life was I can do this and I'm doing it with God. I'm not doing it to save money or to be productive. I'm doing it as a mastery of something that as a father and son we're going into together. That's great. So those are some things lately that have just things that I would have said, yeah, one day. Now I'm saying, no, I want to make that future dream, that future Desire present. Yeah. Let's do it today, God. Yeah. Okay, so now the question to our listeners is uh, what brings you life? Yeah. What makes you come alive? Could you share the several things that bring life? Are you like uh, Alan and I, kind of waking up to the fact that we've kind of lost touch? with our hearts mm. and what fuels and nourishes and nurtures our hearts. And maybe a couple of words, Alan, on just how does someone go about finding that? How do we discover what brings us life? Yeah, well, I think the first thing is to sit with God and not try to quickly answer the question to move on from it, but to sit. And the question I would ask God is, God, what do you enjoy doing with me? What did you uniquely make me like so that we could do these things together? Hmm. It's an intimate question. It's not a productive question. It's not the same thing as saying, what is your hobby? What do other people applaud that you do well? It's really saying, God, what do you enjoy most doing with me in fellowship? And that could be time at the beach. It could be the book. It could be a million things. But I think the first step with that is to sit with it and let it be a deep question and let it be a disruptive question. If you have answers too quick, Craig, to that, I think it's because it's your answers and Mm -hmm. what you're really looking for and what really is needed is what are God's answers to that? Mm, That's good. It's the two of you together in whatever the thing is. It's not the thing. So what does God, what is he inviting you into? And it may be something you've never done before. He may say, bike riding. And Mm -hmm. you haven't had a bike for 25 years. I don't want to wear those shorts. (laughs) (laughs) That's going to be pretty tight. Yeah. (laughs) So it's the unexpected delight of asking that to God and being open to him rather than you trying to fill in the answers and be done and... That's good, Alan. I mean, to ask Christ, Lord, what brings me life? Just to ask him and to sit in that. Uh, Another thought would be what has brought you life and what happened to that? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Maybe it still does and it got stolen. Right. You know, what has? And then I think just monitor 
what do you find yourself chuckling at? What do you find yeah. yourself moved by? And just begin to kind of take notes of what the movements of your heart and soul and that internal world. Yeah. I mean, I think of Craig when he's talking about what makes you chuckle in life. Like a few weeks ago, my nine-year-old son, it was before school started. And so he was asking, you know, hey, can we go to the gym and play basketball before you go to work? So we had to be out there at 630 in the morning. Well, the cool thing was we had the whole gym to ourselves. Nobody was out playing at that time. Mm. He thought it was because he loved basketball. Mm. As his father, I could see on a deeper level, it's really not about the basketball. He really is savoring time with his father. And basketball is what we're doing. And so he would have qualified that what brings you life basketball. I could see as his dad Ah, it's us together. And so we were laughing and we were having fun. It was our time. So to kind of what brings you life, you could almost add onto that list. If it's a piece of paper that we slide to you now as the listener, like Kelly slid the paper to me, it's not just what brings you life, but it's what brings you life with God. Mm -hmm. And the with God is the part that changes the equation from something you do alone and something you're striving for, perhaps, or, or hoping keeps doing something to help get you a little bit of life into rich, deep, wonderful life. And on that note, friends, we toss the ball to you. What brings you life with God? We hope you've enjoyed this conversation between myself, Craig McConnell, and a good friend and buddy, Alan Arnold, and for more resources and help in just this thing called the Christian life and falling in love with God and then the great mission of rescuing others of the beauty and the power and the truth of the gospel, come to ransomheart.com. We've got a treasure chest of things that will encourage and help you along the way. So until next time, we bid you farewell.